Jesus. Not finished yet. That's why you're here, right? Believing that God is not done yet with you. Uh, If you were perfect, you would not need to come to this. Or you could actually come up here and preach instead of me. uh, Do a better job. Uh, I love that we have a God who doesn't give up on us. Such an amazing truth. All right, well, hey, uh, we are uh, in our second week of a series called So You Want to Change the World, um, looking at the story of a guy named Nehemiah. I want to start today, though, before we talk about Nehemiah, I want to talk about my two-year-old. Uh, so I have a two-year-old. Her name is Miriam Joy. Uh, we call her MJ. And I would argue I am come from a completely unbiased place that she is the cutest person in the world. Uh, she's adorable. Um, so let me, besides just, you know, just the little package that is the human, uh, listen to this. So instead of saying, okay, she says, okay. I'm never correcting that, ever. I'm just going to let her do that. Um, she changes outfits five times a day and never matches, ever. And I will uh, relinquish all responsibility for that. My wife will accuse me of not matching her, but I just blame her. So, and sometimes it is me, but I'm all right with that. Um, she slowed down on this last one. Man, I wish it would have stuck. Um, instead of asking for a hug, she would say, I hold you. Which is just, man, I want that one to come back. She wish you could hit the pause button on some of it. But um, she is, she's, she's absolutely adorable, and she is a terrorist, man. She is, she is, uh, she thinks that the world should bend to her will, always, and she's like angry, surprised when it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Like she really, really uh, just wants everything to happen uh, the way she wants, when she wants. For example, uh, I actually have a picture of her that I would like to show you. Uh, so, look at that. Look at that. Isn't that, you know, even in this ridiculous situation that she's in, she's adorable, right? So here's, this is me taking the picture, that's her giving me that look. Um, and here's, here's what I did to get this look. Uh, don't report me to Children's Services for this, this is what I did. I said that she had to eat dinner before she got dessert crazy, right? Uh, then, then I had the audacity to tell her to stay in her little seat, which you can see she's starting to push up out of, and she's got little buckles. I was like threatening to buckle her in, and uh, this was the disagreement that me and her were having. Um, now, uh, here's what she says to me in those moments when she's got this face. She says, Daddy, you mean, you mean, um, okay, uh, maybe, but not because of that. Uh, and then she'll say, so just outside of the shot here is my wife sitting there, and she'll go, mommy said I could, which is a l- <laughs> it's like not even a good lie, because mom's right there to say, no, I, d- I didn't say that you could have candy. Um, now, in first service, this picture got stuck up there, and, it, and MJ just was, was giving us all the dirty look the entire time uh, I was trying to preach, but then Eric said he might just leave it up this time. But you, if, if you can, I'm, I'm done with the angry MJ face. Thank you, Eric. Um, she was very menacingly looking at me from behind. It was scary. Now, 
as adults, we know that like, I'm not mean, right? For, for that, for that, for that. Um, like, and some of you are like, oh, she's cute, give her candy. You're either a bad parent or a grandparent. Those are, those are your only two. You're allowed, if you're a grandparent, cool, but the first one, you need to check yourself. Um, because you know as a parent, if you're a parent, you know that your mandate is, you know, I gotta take the two-year-old and try to guide her to some functioning form of adulthood, right? I gotta take the little girl and try to guide her to be uh, a little woman. So actually, when I say you can't have dessert before dinner, it's a deeply loving thing, because let's be honest, if you parent of a, of a toddler, my life would be easier if I just said, okay, like here's some Smarties, shut up. Like that would actually be better for me. I would have more peace and I'd be able to eat my dinner. Um, but I fight her because I love her. Um, now, I believe that the only mistake we make when we look at angry MJ face, the only real mistake we make is that we think that we grow out of that. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean with your parents. I hope you don't make that face at your parents still. That would be very sad. Um, but when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to how we act towards God, um, I think, you know, when God says to do something or to not do something, I think internally we still make the MJ face. We do. Um, so here's what I want to zoom in on today. It's a word that we don't use very often. Uh, really, you probably haven't heard it in a while. Um, it's the word obedience. Obedience. Uh, we don't even use that word like inside of Christianity very much anymore. Have you noticed that? We say stuff like follow Jesus, which it's a little different, but it's a lot the same as obedience uh, because it's almost like a cuss word to say that we're supposed to obey God. Um, but like if you, if you grew up in church at all, kind of familiar with this concept. Um, and I know these days uh, we tend to not think of following God as obeying God. Um, but it is something we're supposed to do. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah uh, and a uh, step that he takes in obedience today. So to catch you up real quick, uh, previously on the sermon series in Nehemiah. Um, he's a Jewish man in captivity in the country of Persia. He feels called by God to Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. Jerusalem is in ruins. It was destroyed 150 years previous, uh, but he feels this pull from God to do something about that. Um, his current situation, though, is he is uh, you know, a thousand miles away from that city, but here's the deal. So his profession at this time is he is the cupbearer to the king cupbearer. Not a job that is really available these days. Uh, had some upsides and some downsides. So if you don't know what a cupbearer is, basically the cupbearer is kind of in charge of bringing the ki king, uh, specifically, you know, his, his, his cup. Um, but he was supposed to make sure that the king didn't get poisoned. That was, it was kind of a, an important role. Um, so upsides, you know, you get to rub elbows with the most powerful man on the planet because the king of Persia was, and really other people, all the most powerful and rich people really alive, he got to be in the room. You know, can you imagine, like, he's in the room when it happened, like, he got to experience all those decisions and all that stuff uh, while giving uh, the king his wine. He probably lived in a palace, so that's like an upside, right? That's a pretty big perk. He got paid to drink wine, like, that's, I don't know, if you throw that job description on Indeed, I think you'd get a couple of hits on that one, right? Like, you'd apply, right? Now, the downside... 
you could die every day, right? So like there's a little bit of a risk there um, if somebody decides to try and poison the king and you, you take the hit for him. Um, but that's a situation. So I guess what I want you to see with Nehemiah, I don't know, sometimes when we talk about purpose, it always seems to be like you're looking at somebody who's angsty and kind of hates their life. But that's actually not the case with Nehemiah. I would say generally that being the cupbearer to the king is a pretty good gig. And in that, in this place where he's like, you know what, my life is pretty good, he gets this call from God and decides uh, that he's going to pursue this thing that God's calling him to. Uh, so, uh, last week we, we learned that he, he found out Jerusalem's in ruins, he feels like he's supposed to do something about it, and now here in chapter 2 we're going to see what he does in response to this call. So starting in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. Early in the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. Uh, so uh, keep in mind, like, the book of Nehemiah is kind of like his journal a little bit. So he just puts in details about, like, that, that nobody else would know, right? Like, so no, nobody else is writing this about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is writing this about himself. So he knows how he feels. He knows the different things that he's done. And he points out this little detail, like, he's never been sad before in the king's presence. Which I just want to point out, that's some of you with your boss. You do that, right? You, you're sitting there with a scowl on your face, mumbling underneath your breath. And as soon as your boss turns the corner, it's like, hey, love it here, right? It's the fake smile. And then the moment they turn the corner again, you're back to being you. Because he didn't say he's never been sad. He says he's never been sad in the king's presence. So he's got the, he's really good at putting on that face that you know how to put on. Um, so this is what happens next, verse two. So the king asked me, why are you looking sad? You don't look sick to me. <laughs> you must be deeply troubled. So the king notices Nehemiah's emotional state. Now, it's not because the king has like a high EQ, emotional intelligence, not because he's, he's empathetic. It's just because the king's never seen Nehemiah sad before, right? He's like, this is different. <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen that look on your face. Like, what is the purpose of your face, right? Like, I don't, I don't understand what that is. Um, my wife appreciated the the Disney movie for reference there. You're the only one that got it, babe. I love you. Does somebody just all? I'll take it. Do I get credit for that? Okay, good. We're having a moment right now. I just messed it up by hitting my microphone too. You don't usually sit right here. You're distracting me. Right. I'm going to stop hitting my microphone. Talking about Nehemiah, remember? Uh, so, this is a moment though. This is a moment. He's sad in the king's presence. The king noticed that he's sad. Uh, now, the last four words of this verse, I feel like they're profound. I wish actually that your Bible like did the thing where like it would put some spaces, then the last line, then a couple more spaces so you would see this kind of standalone because it's such an important like four words that Nehemiah throws out there. Again, he's... Um, this is like his journal. So, so he appears sad. He finally reveals that he's sad to the king. The king notices that he's sad. Final four words of the verse are, then I was terrified. And I was terrified. We get an internal look at Nehemiah's emotional state the moment this all happens. Uh, the, the Hebrew words are, yaba yare. 
sore, afraid, filled with fear, very frightened, all the different ways that's translated. But it could literally be translated, my fears multiplied. That's the idea that it carries. Almost like, have you ever had that, that feeling like fears are just kind of like cloning themselves inside, like pop, 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 all that, and like that, that adrenaline rush that kind of floods your body when you have this thing happen. Then I was terrified. Now, maybe the most obvious and pressing fear here um, is that the king could actually have him executed for appearing sad in his presence. Back then, if kings really kind of, um, like any good narcissist, they wanted to control the emotions of the people that are around them. Um, so uh, if somebody appeared sad in their presence, they could just have them off. They could just be like, you're done, get out of here. I don't, I don't want to have a sad cupbearer leave um, or dead any, anything could happen there. But I think the, the whole fear of like being executed is actually like a subheading uh, underneath the title um, of that he's about to take a step of obedience here. He wouldn't have appeared sad. He was good at putting on the fake face. He could have stayed fake happy for the king. He chose not to because he's about to take a step of obedience. And I feel like this is the moment before that moment, you know? So if you're going to take, have you ever been in that space where you're like about to take a step and do the thing that God wants you to do? You're about to um, submit your life to what God wants you to do and your foot's in the air and you're about to put it down. That's the moment that Nehemiah is having here. If this were a movie, I feel like, you know, he, he, you would have had the whole scene where he walks in and he appears sad and the king would be like, what's up with you? And then like, I feel like they would have slowed down time and the camera would have like done a 360 around him. Then I was terrified. And you have this, this really, this impression that this moment kind of expands out. The moment before the step of obedience. You have these that moment right before you're about to take a step of obedience to God, that moment right before you're about to say yes to God, that moment you, you're about to do something that you wouldn't do if you didn't have a relationship with God, right? You've, you've had those things that, that you wouldn't do those things. If you didn't, if you didn't believe in God, if you, didn't, if you didn't follow Jesus, there's stuff that you just wouldn't do. But, but these steps, this, this thing, these choices that we make, um, that moment right before we make them sometimes, whew, that's an adrenaline-filled moment. Yaba yare. The, the, the fears multiply inside of us. I want to I wanna dig into that moment, that moment before you obey God. Can we just look at that moment? Can we zoom in on that moment? Think back. If you've ever had one of these, it felt big to you. You're about to do something that like, God wants you to do. Or maybe you're about to like, make a choice to stop doing that, something that God doesn't want you doing. And you felt that fear. I think we can all associate with Nehemiah that like, those, sometimes those steps are like, oh, it's crazy. And you got that thing that happens inside of you. And it's, done, it's, it's involuntary. You, fear just kind of bubbles up. Here's the question I want to ask you. What do you fear? What, what are you afraid of as you're about to take that step? What do you fear the moment before a step of obedience? Now, that's a, that's a hard question, right? Depends on the subject, depends on the, what the step of obedience is. So, for example, like this year, um, in the month of January, we, we kind of laid out our focus for the year as a church, if you were here. Um, we're, we're theming the year first and best this year. 
Um, and the idea is that Jesus is first and he is best. It's not that we're going to put him first. He already is. We're going to respond to that truth uh, by giving Jesus, giving God our first and our best. Uh, and it's not just that Jesus is first and is best, it's that he went first. So as, as Christians, our, our motivation for taking any step of obedience uh, is that Jesus already went first, right? That Jesus loved us first, that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, that Jesus um, didn't wait for us to clean up our lives. So if you're sitting here going, oh yeah, I want to be obedient to God so that God's not mad at me. No. Um, I want to be obedient to God so that God will love me. No. Um, as Christians, we are obedient to God in response to what he's already done for us. Like that's, it's not for God's love, it's from God's love that we want to take these steps of obedience. Giving God our first and our best as a response to his love and his uh, greatness. So we, we did these cards. They're on the wall. If you walk out and look at the Welcome Center and turn around, there's this uh, board out there that we, we asked people to sign it. It uh, has five areas of your life. Um, your bank account, your calendar, your relationships, your thought life, and your talent. Not in that order, but um, people signed it. And the, the idea behind signing it was saying that, hey, I'm going to give God my first and my best in those five areas of my life, which basically is your whole life. And signing it doesn't mean anything unless you want it to. Um, and we're, we're hoping that more and more people, you can get a card if you feel like God nudging you towards signing something like that. You can get a card at the Welcome Center and sign one and stick it up there. And um, I guess I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying, that the people who signed them, and maybe even the people who haven't yet, you're looking at these five areas. Your bank account, your calendar, your relationship, your thought life, your talent. And you're asking the question, what does it look like to give God my first and best in those areas? And my guess is if you've dug even an inch below the surface in any of those areas, there's a possibility that you had a moment like Nehemiah's having here. You're about to do this thing that God wants you to do, and you're like, uh. and those fears start to multiply. And you could list a whole bunch of stuff that you fear, right? If I give God my calendar, I'm going to miss out on things that I want to do, and that's going to be a scary thing because I have a lot of things that I want to do, and maybe other things that people want me to do, and I, I would have to say no to those things in order to say yes to what God wants me to do, and that's a scary thing, and you'd have fears multiply. Or, or with, your, with your sex life, oh man, if I give God my sex life, oh my gosh, that means you know, I could live my whole life dissatisfied and frustrated, like all those, those fears that come up. Or, or man, if I start tithing, oh, I might not have enough money to pay my bills or be able to do the things that I want to do. Or if I give God my talent, I won't be able to use it for the things that I want to use it for. Or my thought life would require much of me to do what God wants me to do with my thoughts. There's a lot of fears that could pop up as you go down the list of those things that you want to give God your first and your best. You're about to take one of those steps. You're going to have one of these Nehemiah moments. And I think you would be able to probably list a ton of fears. But here's what I want to do, if you let me. I want to, like, oversimplify it. I want to say that you're not afraid of a lot of things. You're afraid of one thing. And to find the one thing, we actually got to jump out of Nehemiah's story, and we got to jump way back to the very, 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 very beginning um, out of Nehemiah and jumping into Genesis. So you remember the Genesis story, right? It's a creation story. God creates everything and it's good. God creates Adam and Eve. 
And it's very good. God tells Adam and Eve to have dominion over the world. That's very good. God puts them in a beautiful garden, um, naked, and says, be fruitful and multiply. That's very good, right? Um, so they have a really good situation here, is what I want you to see. Um, then he says, hey, don't eat the fruit from this one tree. And that's what they're in, right? Beautiful garden, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over the earth, don't eat fruit from this one tree. That's pretty good. Enter the serpent, right? So Eve and the serpent have this this conversation, right? This this destiny-altering conversation with cosmic implications. There's this back and forth. And in that conversation, uh, Satan, he's he's planting seeds of doubt. He's twisting the truth. He's outright lying. But here's what I want to do. I want to summarize the argument made by the serpent to Eve. Because in in the summary, uh, I believe, it shows us our one fear that leads to all our other fears. So when it comes to obeying God, I believe all your fears have the same DNA, and it's this. Satan's argument to Eve, essentially, is that her greatest happiness, her greatest fulfillment in her existence is found outside of God's will. That's his argument to her. That it would be better for her not to do what God says to do. That's his argument. That that actually God doesn't want your greatest good, Eve. That God's will, God's rules are keeping you away from your best life. That's what he told her. And I think essentially, if you boiled all of your fears down when it comes to obeying God, that's what you fear. It's the oldest lie. That if you do what God wants you to do, it won't actually be for your good. That if you obey God, you'll miss out on something that would have been better. That's the deep fear that was planted in every human soul and it is still infecting us to this day. The fear that leads to all other fears. That your greatest happiness, your greatest fulfillment is found outside of God's will. That when you're about to take that step of obedience, the thing that happens inside of you is you think, "Uh uh-oh, this actually ultimately isn't going to be good for me. And by the way, that's actually an assault on God's character. Do you realize how big of an accusation that is? This isn't just some philosophical argument that Satan is making here. He's actually saying that God is cruel, that God set up your desires and the way you would be fulfilled uh, and then made the rules to prevent you from getting to it. That's what he's saying. Like, hey, if you do the thing that he said not to do, then you'd really be happy. That's a cruel God. That's a mean God. That's what he's saying. That's what Satan whispered in Eve's ear, and that's what he's whispering to you. (sighs) That if you obey God, it's not going to be good for you. You're missing out on something better that God is holding out on you. And, uh, I mean, we could, (laughs) there's tons of examples of this. Which awkward one do you want to go with this morning? You guys want to talk about sex? How many kids are in the room? There's some. Okay, we won't. How about money? That's weird. It's weird to talk about money in church. So let's talk about money. If you're a Christian, if you're not, you're good. 
If you're not a Christian, elbow the person who is a Christian next to you and tell them they need to freaking listen to this. Um, that I'm, wow. Usually that comes out first service. Hi, guys, online. Welcome to Mosaic. Um, if you're a Christian, you, even if you've been a Christian for just a little bit while, you probably know that um, you're called to give a portion of what you make back to God, right? A regular sacrificial habit of giving is supposed to be a part of every Christian's life. It is. Um, now, we could argue over whether it's supposed to be 10% or something else, right? Um, but I think we could all agree it's not zero, right? I think that's kind of a, we can at least agree on that. It's not uh, going to be zero. So, now, the longer you go in the Christian life, and I'll, I just want to acknowledge that this is one of those things, I, when, when I was growing up in church, I had a, a, one of the pastors that I was uh, sitting under always used to say, the wallet's one of the last things that God gets a hold of in the Christian's life. And I think, I think he's right. This is one of the hardest things. One of the hardest things. Um, man, yeah, like what would you do? Like if you really locked yourself in a room with your Bible and asked the question, what am I supposed to do with my money when it comes to giving to God? And you really did it. I wonder what you'd come out with. I mean, 10% would be in this conversation somewhere. Again, you could argue over that one. But the word sacrificial is going to come up a ton. And that one sucks, actually. I'd rather, I'd rather have 10% than himself be sacrificial. 10% is a number. Sacrificial, that's hard to define. That's on you to have a relationship with God to ask the question, what's sacrificial for me? Oof. Can it just be 10%? Can we just go with that? It's actually easier. So my question, let's say... So you're standing here and you're going, all right, Lord, this is one of those things. My bank account's on that card. I want to I wanna, I wanna, um, give you my first and best in that. And you start to pick up your foot to take that step of obedience. Rabba yare. Fear. What is it? Now, I want to acknowledge, side note, pause the sermon. Sometimes when it comes to giving, uh, it's less about God and more about church. Can we just be real? I'm going I'm to make it even more awkward. So I'm a pastor in a church going to talk about pastors and churches. Sometimes the reason we don't want to give has to do with, with churches. And I just want to say, as a pastor, I get it. I get it. If you look out there and you see that like, there's a pastor, like it was a couple years ago, the dude was trying to raise money to buy a new jet. A new one. He already had one, but he wanted another one. And then, you know, they're standing up on stage wearing thousands of dollars worth of clothes, telling you to be sacrificial. Like, yeah, it kind of comes off a little weird. And I get that. Just so you know, I drive a minivan um, <laughs> with stuff stuck to the seats. <laughs> Guys, have you ever taken out a child car seat, like, just to move it? <laughs> That's where I'm at. And uh, I've had these shoes for, like, 10 years, and I still like them. Um, just so you know. So, you're looking at churches going, eh, the reason I don't give has nothing to do with God, it has more to do with church. And I get it. So I, I want to say, man, I hope, I hope that you would look at Mosaic and say that like, we're trustworthy. Um, like for us, our biggest expense is this building, actually. And listen, that's a strategic thing. Um, when, we, when we had this opportunity for this building, it was less about the bricks and the beams, and it was more about the location. Think about that. That's different, by the way. We wanted this building 
more about what was outside of it than inside of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's pretty cool. Like, a lot of churches are like, oh, what's inside? Like, I don't even care what's inside. Like, I care about where God's called us to, and he put us in the middle of this city, and that's where we wanted to be. And then, you know, the, th- the big things that we spend on, like outreach, like, that's our thing. And if I, if I was in charge of the spreadsheet, and I'm not, Chris is in charge of the spreadsheet, I don't read, I just, like, tell me what this means. Um, but if I were, I would put, like, the building under the category of outreach because it's a tool for us to be able to continue to reach people. So like for us, it's about uh, trying to make heaven more crowded. It's about um, being that church for people who don't think church is for them and that everything that we do is tries to aim towards that. I guess I kind of just want to assure you that like nobody's getting rich off of Mosaic. Um, I will let you know when I start thinking about jet shopping, because I don't know how. Is there a space on like Facebook Marketplace, do you think? We could look, somebody look that up. Don't, right, not right now, you'll get lost. Um, but here's, here's what I'll say, like, if one of your barriers to like being obedient to God in this step is like you don't trust the church that you're going to, then, you should go to a new church. And I don't mean that here. I mean, I guess you're here. So like, if, if that's how you feel about here, I'd love to have a conversation with you before you just leave. You said to leave, screw you, man. Like, I hope don't, don't do that. Um, I'd rather have a conversation with you about it beforehand. But like, for real, if that's like the reason, I don't know, can you imagine, can you imagine getting to heaven and having a conversation with God about this? And God's like, hey man, you know, I really called you to give a certain way. And like, you didn't. You just think, well, your church has sucked. Can you imagine God being like, and like, <laughs> yes, all of them have their flaws, like, but don't let that be the reason that you're not obedient because it's not going to be about the church in that moment. It's going to be about you and your choices. So that aside, if, if you can get past the church thing and you're saying, Hey God, I want to be obedient with my finances. I want to give back to you. What is the thing as you're about to take a step like that? What happens? What's the fear? What, do you want to have enough? You won't be able to do something that you really want to do? You won't, you'll lose some comfort, something in your life? Aren't, aren't all those the things that Satan was whispering about? Oh, if you, if you do what God tells you to do in that area of your life, you won't be as good. Isn't that essentially the same argument? You're not going to be okay if you do that. Don't, don't trust God. Don't, 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 don't. If you do it, man, something bad's gonna happen. Isn't that the same thing that he told Eve thousands of years? This is the oldest trick in the book. God's holding out on you. So I guess I just wanna tap into your stubborn side here. Man, don't listen to Satan about that. Can you at least give, make Satan come up with a new play? Because that's the oldest. Even as he wrote that one thousands of years ago, he's never had to change it. Can you at least force him to come up with a new play with you? Say, buddy, you played that one thousands of years. You're going to have to come up with something new on me. I actually want to say that I trust God in this thing, that I don't think God's holding out on me in this area of my life. And you could go down the line, like I said, money's just an example. We're all dealing, and, and I bet you know, when I say, hey God, there's a, there's a next step in your spiritual life. We all have whatever it is the next step is. All of us have something, and all of us have those, those fears that pop up as we're about to take that step. And you know what yours is. You know what yours is. 
If you're in tune at all with what God's doing in your life, if you're in tune at all with the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in your heart, you know what it is. And Satan's still whispering to you. Don't let him win. Now, back to Nehemiah. So here's Nehemiah in this situation. Uh, he's about to take this step. His fears multiplied, but here's what I want you to know. He, he felt the fear and did the thing immediately. And I just want to say, sometimes Christians, can we be real? You, you feel the fear and then you feel this need to say, you know what, I need to pray about this more instead of just doing the thing. Because, and, and, and man, we've got to stop doing that because if you give yourself enough time, you're going to talk yourself out of the thing that God's calling you to do. And, and that is what he avoids here by saying he felt the fear and then he immediately did what God called him to do. He didn't give himself time to talk himself. He didn't, he didn't uh, cover it in, in faux spirituality and say, oh, I'm going to pray about this a little bit more. No, he's like, I'm going to do this thing right now. If you know that God's calling you to do something, do it. Stop waiting. Stop pretending like it's a spiritual thing and just do it. So that's what he does. Uh, verse three, but I replied, Remember, he's about to make a really big ask here. Long live the king. He's buttering him up, right? Um, how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So he tells the king the situation. Now this is a tension-filled moment because he was sad and now he's telling the king why he's sad. He doesn't know how the king's gonna react just yet. This is it. This is the thing. This is why the fears multiplied in his chest. Verse four, here's what happens. The king asked, well, how can I help you? Now that's really cool. That's the response he was hoping for. Um, if you remember back to last week, uh, at the end of chapter one, the very specific thing that Nehemiah was praying for was for the king to, to give him favor, right? That the king would be favorable towards him. And here in Nehemiah chapter two, verse four, we learn that God said yes to that because he is favorable towards Nehemiah. Um, so now he's got the open door. He took the step and now he's going to start running. Verse four, with a prayer to the God of heaven. So he prayed one last time. I replied, if it pleases the king and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to, Jude to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. So I love that he prayed again, just one quick time. And remember, this is, a, this is not the only time he prayed. This is the cherry on top of the mountain of prayer that he's been praying. Um, he just had one more time, Lord be with me, Lord give me the words, don't help me not to say anything really dumb in this moment. Like just one more time, he had to go to God and then he made the ask. He made the ask. I just want to keep reminding of you of this Christian. So he gets this, this, this very public victory that Nehemiah has here in this, um, but it was preceded by private victories. I'm just going to keep reminding you of this. I think when you, we see people who have this great success in their life, we see all this awesome stuff that happens in public. A lot of times you don't see uh, the private work that goes into that. And man, spiritually speaking, if you have people who you look at in your life go, man, they're just like killing it, you know? Them and Jesus, they're just tight. Well, there's a, there's a lot of private victories that happen way before they have those public ones. Uh, and this is definitely the case in Nehemiah. He spent months winning private victories before he experienced this public one. So, um, all right. So he, he asked the king if he could go be the one to go rebuild the walls. And then uh, the next couple of verses, he asked the king to pay for it. Uh, it's a lot. Of, it's just a list of like, supplies. hey, I need some wood. I need some letters to be able to do this thing. Like, hey, no big deal. It's just going to cost millions of dollars, but I want you to pay for it kind of a thing. Um, and then at the end of verse eight, I want to zoom in on this. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. I love that. I love that. 
He recognized why he succeeded. It wasn't because he was brilliant. It wasn't because he asked a certain way and he, you know, like, a, like on, on doing a, a locker lock, like three to the left, four to the right. No, it was just the gracious hand of God was on him. God moved. And the supernatural impossible happened. A door opened that shouldn't have been opened. So here's what I'm, I want to point out uh, to end here. I want, I want to back up from the story again and like look at the overall picture here. Nehemiah feels a call from God, feels a call from God um, to do something, be honest, kind of crazy, right? Uh, He's got a good life. He's a cupbearer. He hangs out with the rich and famous and he's he's got everything. But God calls him to this thing over here. But the thing over there required a step. It required a step of obedience that was terrifying, a step of obedience that might cost him this comfortable life. It might, it might cause him to lose the things here in order to get that thing. And he had to take a step to do it. And he does it. Despite the fear. A lot of bad things could have happened. But, but what I want you to see is that step, that pivotal step of saying yes led to Nehemiah being able to be a part of something absolutely spectacular. God moves through Nehemiah in a supernatural way. And, and I think the craziest thing is that Nehemiah's capacity expands. Because I would say back then, it can't get much better than cupbearer, man. He's got everything. He never misses a meal. He's got a nice place to live. He's safe. That's not normal back then. How could it get better? (laughs) Well, if you say yes to God, he can do some pretty crazy things. So Nehemiah goes from cupbearer to... uh, rebuilder of a city to the to a to a leader of a of a now uh renewing budding nation um to a catalyst for change to to a philanthropist over here from cupbearer to man steps into purpose that step of obedience was a doorway to an expanded capacity and we see god do this over and over and over in the bible obedience in the small things and I will put you in charge of many things there's a pattern there and I think listen Christian I think we get so caught up sometimes in like focusing on the big things that we miss out that the path to the big thing is a bunch of saying yes to little things and it's inconsistent for us to say I would totally say yes if God called me to something big but I'm not going to say yes to God calling me to little things that doesn't make any sense Because Jesus said, no, the path to the big thing is going to be you saying yes in the little things. You being faithful in the small things. So stop acting like the little things don't matter. Just waiting for the big thing. No, you only get to the big thing if you do the little things. To quote Mark Batterson, if we do small things like they're big things, God will do big things like they're small things. I love that. And that's what I want for you. So I want to put like an intellectual pebble in your shoe. Because I know you're going to face the next time. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what the subject's going to be. That you're going to have a step of obedience that you're, you're going to be about to take. And in that moment, you're going to have those fears are going to multiply. Rabah yare. It's going to happen. But here's what I want. I want you to be able to kind of mentally think about this. Like the, fe- the wave of fear is going to come. You can't control it. But I would... Love it if there was like a counter wave that comes back. I'll also call it fear. Fear of 
obeying, yeah, but how about fear of not obeying? And I don't mean, I don't mean fear that God's going to get you. Oh, I better go hide behind a tree because he's going to zap me with a lightning bolt if I don't say yes. No, no, no. I mean fear of missing out on what he'll do with that step of obedience. Because, man, think about Nehemiah. What Nehemiah would have missed out on. Yeah, he would have had a cupbearer. Probably would have had a nice little life over here. But you'd have never heard about him. You wouldn't know who Nehemiah was. He'd have just been some random cupbearer in ancient times that you would have never heard about. But because he took this step of faith, because he said yes to God in these things, now we have an entire book written about this guy and we're reading about him thousands of years later and the impact of his life, the the echo of his life continues to reverberate out. Look what he would have missed out on. I'd be more afraid to miss out on what God has for me if I say no. And that, by the way, is the opposite. Like, so in this case, That's the opposite of the kind of fear that Satan wants to plant in your heart. Satan wants to plant a a fear in your heart that says that God isn't good. This is a fear that he is good. And if I don't say yes to him, I'm gonna miss out on his goodness. This is the best kind of fear, if there is a such thing, to fear missing out on what God could do with you. That's what I want. Worship team, why don't you guys come up here? I don't know what you're facing. I just wanna encourage you to say yes. Say it quickly. Pray with me. Jesus, you can see inside the hearts of every single one of us in here. You can see the thing, you know what you've been nudging us towards. Those five categories on those cards for first and best. You know the one that is most pressing in each heart. Lord, I pray, all those fears hit us, Lord, that we would see through it, that that whisper, that, that, that demonic whisper that you're not good, that, that you're holding out on us, that, that if we say yes, our life is going to be worse somehow, we'd recognize it, Lord, and we listen to you, I pray we'd take that step, Lord, I pray that somebody today would take that step, would say yes to you, make a decision, even if it just seems small, Lord, I pray that it would have massive implications they'd say yes to you and it would be a step into an expanded capacity in their life I pray for the person who seems stuck in saying in a bunch of little steps Lord that I pray that they'd say yes to all of them because you're leading them to something big help us to have faith in that Lord help us to believe that you're good in those moments